Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash genre. Over 180,000 titles to choose from from your iPhone, Android, or Kindle. That's audibletrial.com forward slash G-E-N-R-E. Weirdo Bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Hi, genre junkies. Welcome to a very exciting sci-fi episode. I always love it when we get to sci-fi. Of course you do. (laughs) No, I do too. (laughs) And this episode's really special because not only did we get to read this awesome book, but we got to talk to the even more awesome author of the book. And... As you will see, this was a particularly fun interview for me. Oh my gosh, we had some fun. We geek out. She is a super, super cool person. Absolutely. And we share some similar interests. Yeah, yeah. No, she's great. You guys are going to love her. And we're going to talk to you about this book. And hopefully you're going to love that. So, you know, oftentimes we like to have a little roundtable on these things. And we are very excited to report We finally started The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And it's about time. And you know what? It's worth the hype. It's it lives up to it. It absolutely lives up to the hype. I did read some of the books. It makes me want to go back and read all of the books, the graphic novels. Um, It makes my devilish little heart ridiculously happy. It is so, so fun. The art directions, the color, the costumes. It's just so beautiful to look at. And it's super cool girl power awesomeness. I have to say, it took me an episode to really get used to the to the main actress's kind of cadence to her speech and everything, but it actually really works well for the character. I love her. I can't say her name. It's like Kier- Kiernan Shipka. I, I don't know her name. She was um, in The Black Coat's Daughter, which was one of my favorite horror movies that came out uh, in 2017, I want to say. I don't know. Uh, we did it on The Bloodlust. I was on that episode. It's a good movie, Black Coat's Daughter. Check it out. Good I, horror movie. I do think I remember her from that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, she's awesome in it. Oh, and you know what else is kind of a genre-related thing we did? We kind of sort of played that Pokemon Switch game. Yeah, we <laughs> We played that with our nephew, and that was um, that was fun. I, I want that game very much. Yeah, our nephew, uh, well, one of our nephews, he's four, and he's super into Pokemon, and he kind of like, he gets excited as if he is playing, but basically he's just pointing at the screen and telling you what Pokemon he wants you to collect for him. Catch that one. Catch that one. Yeah, and he knows them all, and he knows like some stats and like what type they are and everything, but um. I thought it was pretty pretty darn cute. And of course, I do love I love me some Pokemon. I love Eevee. I'd like to say that I'm a Pikachu guy, but I like Eevee as well. <laughs> well, I mean, there's what's not to love about Pikachu. I, everything. Everything. Pikachu's amazing. I always found Pikachu to be kind of annoying, to be honest. Oh, my God. I think she's adorable. Yeah, I, I've never really been a fan. Oh, my God. Like I, I never got into Pokemon Yellow. I was all about uh, Squirtle and, and uh, Bulbasaur. <laughs> Bulbasaur. Bulbasaur. I liked Bulbasaur a lot. He was my main. I like Eevee and I like Mimic. Mimikyu. Oh, Mimikyu. He's from the most recent release. We actually have a little, little like a little not mini a, fig. Not a, not a TM brand Lego, but that idea. Yeah, I just love. I just love him. I love the concept of him or her or them. I don't know if there's a gender to that 
character. Basically just a, a specter that kills you if you see it. Let's just call it them. Yeah. Yeah. So now, without further ado, let's talk about the book of the night. Resistant. By Rachel Sparks. Oh, and you know what's cool on the front of this book? Publishers Weekly said this is a chilling examination of a possible future filled with lovable characters, excellent pacing, and sharp sociopolitical criticism. If that sounds like it belongs on books of another author, uh, you and if and, I, and if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you'd be correct. Is is that too cryptic? It's a little cryptic. Okay, yeah. Um, very that that's very much the kind of thing you would see on a Michael Crichton book. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, it's a very similar style to his books. All right, Resistant by Rachel Sparks. Rory and her father have survived the antibiotic crisis that has killed millions, including Rory's mother. But ingenuity and perseverance aren't their only advantages. When a stoic and scarred young military veteran enters their quiet life, Rory is drawn to him against her better judgment until he exposes the secrets her mother and father kept from her, including the fact that her own blood may hold the cure the world needs. Now she is the target of groups fighting to reach it first. When the government comes after Rory, aiming to use her for a cure at consult to the highest bidder, she's forced to flee with her father and their new protector. But can she find the new path to human evolution before the government finds her? That's from the back of the book. <laughs> yep. Uh, it was a good description. Again, needing no uh, editing or rewriting. Yeah. The idea of having a character being a uh, a perfect antidote to some sort of disease is not unique. What I found unique about this book is that the disease in question or the the the, the issue in question isn't a, a zombie virus or a vampire virus or something of that nature. Mm -hmm. It's it's a very real possibility. So let's talk about that real possibility. Now, this might come as a shock to y'all, but Scott and I are not actual scientists. No, we have no official scientific background, although one of us is fascinated with science. Well, I'm fascinated by science, too. I, I love science. But um, I'm going to turn it over to Scott to talk a little bit about kind of what this possible future is alluding to, which is a very real world concern. So this is something that we are dealing with right now. The basic idea is uh, bacteria in particular are becoming resistant to antibiotics, antibiotics that used to work 99.9% .9 of the time. The problem is when the, the few small bacteria that survive that attack just like we become immune with vaccines after we've been exposed to a virus or a bacteria, bacteria gain those same immunities. So the ones that survive, they're the strongest. And so they breed and they, well, they don't breed, but they <laughs> multiply and they become the primary strain, only they are now resistant to those antibiotics. So the more you use antibiotics, especially when you don't need to, the more previously strains that could be beaten by medicines such as penicillin no longer are affected at all by that medication. So this is not the same as being anti-vaccine by any means, though, correct? Oh, not at all. Um, it's Antibiotics are a very important tool in our arsenal. The, 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 the problem lies when antibiotics are prescribed for things that are, first of all, not affected by antibiotics, like viral infections, but also when it's prescribed for things that don't necessarily need them. Obviously, if you have a 
horrible sinus infection that is, you know, that is actually creating a risk to you, then you should be prescribed antibiotics. Nothing is saying, no one is saying that we should stop using antibiotics so that bacteria don't become immune, but we shouldn't be prescribing them for every small common cold because what it's doing is it's creating strong uh, resistance. And it's even stronger is in things like the meat industry where they're giving so many antibiotics to different animals just to prevent them from getting sick, not because they are, just to prevent them so that they can, you know, sell their product. They're creating stronger and stronger resistances to those antibiotics. And eventually, down this path, antibiotics will no longer be useful for any infection. That includes things like a paper cut. Mm-hmm. Well, this is just yet another reason why I think everyone should be vegetarian or pescatarian. Anyway, moving on. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but you should. But I am kidding. Thank you, Scott, for that very nice kind of recap for those of us who are maybe just kind of um, learning about this. I mean, I did. I was aware of it, that it was a problem. But I'll admit, I haven't spent a lot of time researching it. And I'll say, like, I gave you a basic rundown. This book does a much better job of explaining exactly what the danger is. Yeah, uh, it does a phenomenal job, in fact. Actually, kind of on that note, um, I wanted to kind of give it my experience score and also talk about the book a little bit. So for me, this was a good read. And I've got my thumb up in the air. This is a good read, a good egg. I was happy. I was excited. I felt like I was learning something. And I was reading a sci-fi story that I hadn't quite encountered before. Um, Now, there's some good stuff about characters and all of that, too. But characters aside... I just really liked the story of this. It was reminiscent of Michael Crichton for me in the best way possible, where it's these like kind of future, but it's like a really realistic future. And it's not post-apocalyptic. It's not dystopian. It feels very real, like how society is operating and changing after this devastating event feels real. It's not like suddenly we're these warring cannibalistic marauders in like different packs or troops. We're just people who are struggling and scared, but finding ways to move forward. And I think that that's more, I mean, I'm a little bit optimistic, I know, but and idealistic, but I, I feel like that's more true to human nature. Like we have a few rungs to fall before we're like, you know, Mad Max here. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, it, it's it's refreshing to see something that is in a way post-apocalyptic, but, sure. but not at all you know, man against man, uh, free for all, the, the, the strongest will survive sort of thing. And suddenly we're all wearing trash outfits. It, well, you know, the costumes are very important to post-apocalyptic worlds. Oh, God knows. And I do love me some of that weird post-apocalyptic dystopian stuff but i'm just saying realistically i think it's gonna take a while to completely lose our societal constructs she's still in college for god's sake it's like they've shut down all the colleges because they ate all the professors or something yeah although it seems to be in this in this world sort of a uh, a college of distance yeah because you don't want to get sick so you yeah. got to limit your contact it's, it's mail order college if you yeah will. totally fine sorry totally interrupted your experience but no no i haven't even started yet oh uh by all means yeah so am i good to go now now all right oh wait no i'm just kidding 
<laughs> All right. Uh, for me, this was a page turner. I'm going I'm going even a step up. I tore through resistant in a very rare one sitting. Ooh. Um, I really like the pacing overall. It gets right into the main plot. It's really snappy. Just bang, bang, moves through a compelling story. And it's very realistic. Yes. I I I enjoyed it a lot. I could not put it down. Oh, well, I think that's fantastic. I, I feel like we're really on the same page with this book and our feelings with it is what I'm getting. So I want to talk a little bit about characters. Um, I'm going to go kind of in an order deliberately. All right. I will trust you on the order. <laughs> so Rory, that's our heroine. Her real name's Aurora, which is just a cool name. Her and her parents all have these like really artistic, like um, from mythology names, which I think is really cool. And, you know, there's something kind of telling about it as well. But um, Rory is another capable heroine, which we love to find capable heroines. I mean, there's a lot of them, thankfully. She's extremely smart, not just clever, but she is in a scientist. Like, she's in her 20s. Like we said, I, I believe she's getting her master's at this point in, in the story. That sounds right to yeah. me. Yeah. But anyway, she's really smart. So not only is she just like a clever, quick-witted girl, but she's book smart. And she's book smart in science, which is something we don't get to see a lot of in our books and enough in popular culture. And she's still a heroine. She's in her 20s. She's not naive. She's not like, oh, me, I, I don't understand the ways of man or romance or how the world works. <laughs> And what is science? Like, there's just no naivety about her. She's very straightforward, uh, which is very refreshing. But she's helping her father. She's helping her community. And she's doing really hard work out on the farm. She's a really well-rounded heroine. Yeah, Sparks does a really good job of doing a balancing act of taking a character who is sheltered in a sense, in, in the way that her entire generation is just by necessity, having to be sheltered from other people at all times while still having meaningful relationships, meaningful friendships, and not being a naive person. Yes. She, she, she walks that line incredibly well. Yes. So her dad is Byron. And Byron might actually be like my favorite character in the book. Um, I, I really, really liked him. He's a quirky guy. He's also a scientist. And he's lovable. He's He likes to speak in a lot of quotes. He's a poetic soul, but also like, you know, this kind of madcap scientist in a weird way. And he's like a farmer, you know, like how they're doing this whole farming thing to keep themselves and their community alive. And he's just very adaptable to this new way of life and seems to have a pretty darn healthy relationship with his adult daughter. Everything about Byron is just so nice. He's nice. He's a nice guy. He's just a nice guy. You know, it, he it suffers a little bit in that he's just very perfect in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, I for me, it worked in this book. I don't think that you need to have incredibly complicated dark secrets with <laughs> all of the normal nice people and there's there is definitely some character work he's not a he's not actually a perfect person but he's just so damn nice 
You're so damn nice, Byron. Um, so kind of our other main character that I just want to briefly talk about is Navy, because I want to talk more about him in the spoiler section. But he is our tall, dark, brooding type. He has a disfigurement, which makes him interesting. And he's the military guy. And this is kind of where we meet him. And like I said, I want to talk more about him and the other characters in the spoilers. But he, um, I have some really important things to say about him in the spoiler section. I do, too. Uh, I will just say that Navy definitely fits a trope and he does it very well. Yes, absolutely. He feels his niche. So appeal. This should come as no surprise, but I think we're going to fall in one or two of the same categories here. I'm going to say broad. Um, It's a good sci-fi based strongly in reality, written by a really smart scientist who also happens to be a super cool person. And she writes about an interesting girl. And even though this is like Rachel's first novel, I have incredibly high hopes that her talent is just going to keep growing and growing and growing and get more and more interesting. And I'm very pleased with this sci-fi offering. You know, I I, I discovered Michael Crichton kind of late to the game. Um, How late? I, I would say that I only really started reading him probably about 10 years ago. Is that true? Yeah, that that's really true. I, oh I remember my. I read Jurassic Park, but that was the only book I had read by him until probably about 10 years ago. Let's say more like 13, because I think you've been reading him since we met. That, that might be about right. The point is, is that I was into science fiction as a kid, and I didn't really get introduced to his books until later. And of course... Now that he's passed, there's actually a gap for me in that. There's not a whole lot of authors that really capture that, that just feel. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited, just like you said, for Rachel's future books, because if she can continue to capture this particular style, I am on board. And I'm, to be honest, I'm on board even if she <laughs> does go a different direction. I don't want to say, you know, she has to put herself in this box, but. Yeah. I'm excited to find another Crichton now. So what did you give this for appeal? Oh, well, okay. You're right. I totally got off topic. Uh, I think this is a broad appeal as well. Um, I think, you know, the idea is that it takes a very real scientific danger. It's explained um, in a a very easy to understand and approachable way uh, that's taken to kind of a, a, a heightened reality, if you will, but still very possible. And but it's it, what's neat about it is is I do know a fair amount about antibiotic resistance, and I found it complex enough to really keep me interested. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if this if you don't really know a lot about the science, if you don't even really know a lot about the reality of it, the idea of it, I still think it's a really good way to grasp the idea. I totally agree. And um, as as a side note, Michael Crichton was one of the first adult authors I started to read as a tween. So I think that's like really because my dad was a huge Michael Crichton fan. We had his books everywhere. And it's just like super like shocking to me that you weren't reading those books as a tween and teen like I was. I'm not really surprised knowing your dad, but I I don't know if I knew that. Well, there you have it, guys. So we're going to move on to the spoiler section. But first, listen in to our incredible interview with Rachel Sparks. (music) 
All right, Rachel. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. So we read your book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Resistant. Yeah, we, we liked it a lot. It's been a while since we've dug into kind of a, a science fiction realism book. This was a this is a this is a good dive for us. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, sci fi fantasy out there. I felt like I like I hadn't found a lot of speculative hard science fiction in a while. So I was kind of writing what I wanted to read. Yeah, that was actually going to sort of be our first question is you have a science background <laughs> and uh, you've written nonfiction in the past. And what inspired you to write a novel? And I guess you kind of answered that. Did you want to elaborate at all? Yeah, sure. You know, I've always loved, grew up with Michael Crichton and um, and loved everybody who ever followed in his footsteps and, and preceded him. But um, especially he was a big influence. And I had been writing nonfiction for a long time. In fact, I remember during the the research for different podcast questions and like interviews that have been sent to me that I actually ghost wrote a no not a novel, excuse me, a, a textbook in college. That was my first book because a professor hated writing, loved talking. So I turned his his stuff into that. But um the process of technical writing and nonfiction is is very, you know, it's very dead and you've got to stay within these guide rails and maybe you're meeting FDA guidances or what have you. So getting back into writing fiction like I did when I was a kid was um, it was just like jumping into a fun, warm pool, like get just have so much fun with it. But I was not really thinking about doing it until my husband dared me to. We were we were having a few drinks one night and um, chatting about things that we wanted to do with our lives and kind of daring each other to um, try something new and big. And so he said, well, just off the top of your head, what would you do if you could just do anything that you've always wanted to do? And I said, write a book. And he said, make a piece of furniture. And so we made a, a pact that, you know, whoever got to it first within three, we had three months, I had to write five chapters, he had to build a small piece of furniture. Um, <laughs> I had finished resistant nine months later, and he still hasn't built a thing. So I won. <laughs> hands down won that one. Yeah. All right. Oh, my goodness. Well, we're looking forward to that piece of furniture, too. That's got to be good at this <laughs> yeah, point. It's a long time coming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the, I'm expecting like a huge like French armoire or something. I think so. Yeah. I think it's going to. Yeah. We'll have some mid mod. We'll have some Louis cans all mixed together. It'll be great. <laughs> We recently interviewed Mindy Tarquini, and she was talking about furniture and bugs and, and uh, you know, like, biosystem. I'm kind of afraid of furniture now myself after that. <laughs> She's a hoot, isn't she? She has just so much life experience. I love listening to her and chatting with her. Oh, my gosh. She was awesome. She was awesome. So you mentioned that you used to write when you were a kid. What's the first thing you remember writing? Um, I remember sending a an entire... Um, plot and I think the full script of a um, <laughs> Sequest DSV episode. Yes! Stop! <laughs> no! <laughs> yep, I sent that to Steven Spielberg. <gasps> We're huge Sequest fans here. Oh, oh really? Oh my gosh. Yes. I had to explain this to a group of people the other day and they were just <laughs> blank faced and I'm like, no, you've got to understand it was with Star Trek Underwater, dude, it was the best. <laughs> Darwin, oh, yeah, right. Rob Schneider is is everything. Oh, it's so exciting to talk to a fan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? we're used to explaining it to people too. We're like, and you don't. There was Darwin. He talked. He was a dolphin. Okay, never mind. Oh my god, dolphin that talked. Yes, and sorry, but th that Lucas, what's his name? I had Brandis. Jonathan yeah. Brandis. Jonathan Brandis. His name was Lucas. Wozniak or something like that in the show. Right. Huge crush. Oh, Massive. yes. Me too. Me three. <laughs> <laughs> he 
was the epitomes of 90s cool, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you can imagine, you know, Spielberg said this is brilliant. And he turned it into not Yeah, I think I got a thank you note, maybe oh. from like his secretary. It was probably quite polite for, you know, a 12 year old to get but whatever. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? Like in, you know, before there was all this fan fiction on the internet, and we had to send these things in on paper. <laughs> My poor mother, I can't imagine how she found like the right address to send it to. Right? Like, seriously. <laughs> Who knows? You know, if we really asked her, honestly, maybe it was a whole Santa effect. You know, maybe she <gasps> sent it to Spielberg in quotes, and Santa Spielberg wrote us back. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she loved me enough to pull that one off. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So it sounds like you were always kind of interested in science then. Yes, my entire life. Yeah, I really wanted to be a veterinarian. But I um, I remember I got an early interview when I was like a sophomore in college. And they said, you know, great, you have a good background. We're impressed. But you know, you're not mature enough. We want you to come back. And I mean, I basically just gave them the middle finger. And I was like, I know, I don't, I'm, I'm smarter than you guys. I'm not interested in veterinary school anymore. So then I <laughs> went... <laughs> I went towards microbiology, which I had always loved. I just loved diseases and all the tiny things under microscopes fascinated me. So that was my degree. And then since then, I've been able to be so lucky to work in these fascinating careers that let me use my microbiology degree while not necessarily being stuck in a lab, but getting to work with people, work with transplants, work with families that are, you know, transplanting their loved ones, body parts and, and, and tissues and things. And then now at the startup that I work for to get to try to protect people from hospital acquired infections. It's just, it's been such a fun ride to get to use my degree the way I have, but I've always loved science and microbiology. And you know, I, I'm sure you're a big proponent for girls getting into science as well. Yeah. In fact, I'm um, vice president of the board of our local um, Asheville Museum of Science, Amos. Oh, and it's really fun to be a part of that, too, because we're always looking for ways to get kids into STEM. And now it's called STEAM, too, because we're trying to teach kids about the fact that, you know, art is a part of STEM. Um, in fact, I got to give a great talk in Austin to a girls school. And we talked about the fact that, you know, you don't have to go down through one career path. If you love viruses and you also love art, you can be you know, an illustrator of science textbooks, of book covers, of things like that. You know, there's just so many different ways that you can both be um, a creative person and a science person. Ooh, that's really cool. That definitely speaks to our interests because we're a good mix of both. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm sure you've experienced people telling you that that's weird or that that's yes. unusual or that that doesn't fit their mold. Oh, absolutely. Scott looks like he has like, he has a glassy eyed look. I think he's feeling it. Oh, no. <laughs> Are I we mean, bringing back harsh memories for you? <laughs> well, I don't want to say that I've had the same experiences, but it is amazing how, you know, just even one person's positive or negative input can just completely derail your, your, mm -hmm. your dreams. And when you're young and so impressionable, it's much more impactful if someone says something that that discourages you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to hear that you're out there pounding the pavement doing the good work. <laughs> doing Just, what I can. But despite yeah. your busy schedule. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, that was another reason that I really wanted my um, my main character to be a female. You know, a lot of times I would read hard science fiction novels 
and and feel like they weren't often led by a strong female character. But I know so many brilliant masters and PhDs and other brilliant women who have um, influenced my life and and still make me laugh every day and are just you know wonderful, well-rounded people who are both brilliant and can kick ass. Yes. Yeah, no, I was a big fan of Rory. I, I was rooting for her the whole time. I was like, <laughs> yeah, you go, girl. Um, <laughs> so you had mentioned Michael Crichton, which we are huge Michael Crichton fans. We almost don't. He's kind of like on our Stephen King pedestal where we don't talk about him a lot because he's so revered in our home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I understand completely. <laughs> <laughs> Who are some of your other um, authors, books, TV shows that are your favorites in a genre fiction? Yeah, well, um, and now I'm going to blank out about this one. There's this one author who wrote, um, what, it's not The Passage, it's not The Door, it's The Portal, it's a thing. Um, <laughs> it's a I'm thing. It's a thing. Um, I guess, you know, growing up with, with Crichton, I also, some people kind of pushed me at like the, the Clive Costler even. Mm. And that was, that was kind of not really my thing. Cause it was just so manly. <laughs> yeah. My dad tried to do that too. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes because I liked, because I liked Crichton's adherence to logic and facts and science so much, I would find myself kind of dabbling more in, um, in nonfiction. So I always tell people I just have this massive writer's crush and just reader's crush on Eric Larson, because I, I'm just fascinated by the fact that he takes, you know, this incredible bit of history or, or about the, the entire science behind the Weather Bureau and how they watched the, the hurricane of 1900 in Galveston destroy, you know, the biggest port in the world. But it turns out it feels like you're reading a novel. It does not feel like you're reading a history book. And yet you, you leave, you know, you finish the book and you completely understand everything about this new topic, which that's what I always loved about Crichton is that I've, if I finished one of his novels, I felt like I had learned, I'd taken, you know, six hours of college level courses on a topic, right? Yeah. But I mean, in, in the <laughs> outside of Sequest DSV. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. What are some of your other fandoms? Oh gosh. I, I will tell you that I am not actually a big fan of, of dystopian. And that is where I fell into this, you know, this category. Um, and my genre is that, but, but it's not ever something that I really read. So I love any novel that takes me somewhere new, teaches me some science, has a good character driven plot. Are you a Farscape fan? You know, I'm, I used to be, but I don't think I know like reference. I couldn't hold up at a, at a quiz game. I was going to mm -hmm. ask you because that's Scott's other big thing besides Sequest. And I was going to be like, <laughs> I think he's going to, I think he's going to start stalking you now. No. So that's probably a good thing. <laughs> there, there's actually a reference uh, in the book that I was curious if it's referencing a specific book that you've read or just, you know, about it. Um, you were talking about COD and how it created the Western civilization. Have you read the book Cod by no, uh, Mark Kurlansky? I'm going to now, though. Oh, it, it's by Mark Kurlansky. It's very good. It's one of Scott's favorite books. He tries to preach the gospel of Cod, and I think he'd be interested. <laughs> oh my gosh, no! You know, I think that I learned that from um, one, you know, one of a nonfiction history book that I read. But also, I'm one of those museum geeks who, if you let me in a museum, you kind of just need to go ahead and drop me off for three hours because I'll read every <laughs> placard. And 
some history museum in Maine spent a lot of time on God. And I was just fascinated. Maybe also somewhere along the Atlantic seaboard, like towards the Outer Banks, there's an Outer Banks, you know, museum. And it's just, it's so cool. It's all this pirate history and, <gasps> and fishing history. And anyway. Ooh, no, that's cool. I know we're, we're plaque people too. We read every plaque. Somebody worked hard on that plaque. <laughs> I know, right? Somebody put some effort in, although sometimes I wish they'd had a better editor. But yes, they they deserve applause. And I have to read them all. (laughs) I'm that way in any in any kind of aquarium. Just just drop me off. You can all go look at the next fish and the fish two doors over. I'll just be here hanging out with the octopus. (laughs) (laughs) They are. Though, I mean, what a fascinating creature, right? They are so bizarro and their abilities and their thought, I mean, their brain power. Ugh, that one always amazes me. Yeah, we love them. We're kind of obsessed. <laughs> it's understandable, you know, and I actually really like to eat them, but I started to feel <gasps> bad about it. No! <laughs> I, I have to say I have had octopus in the past and while I, I, I can't bring myself to do it anymore, they are good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I understand, like, now when I want to, I'm kind of, I'm hesitant. I, if somebody else cooks it, but I love to cook, and it's really hard for me to cook them. Oh, yeah. So you're a you're a cook. You brew beer. You do all sorts <laughs> of, like, cool um, integrative <laughs> science creative hobbies, too. It is fun. I Well, I worked, um, I, I paid a lot of my college bills by being a chef, by oh. being a, a cook in a restaurant. And then, um, I mean, you have to start off as a dishwasher, right? But, right. Um, I got to graduate up and I was the only chick in the kitchen and there's nice. plenty of great stories. You learn so many awesome curse words. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's the best training ever for that. But yeah, I um I got to to be taught how to, you know, cook really well um by some talented guys and gals and um now I still love to do it. So it's we always joke at Christmas whatever my husband gives me is sort of Marge's bowling ball because it's it's some sort of tool for me to use in the kitchen to cook for him. So <laughs> Yeah, everybody wins. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so one of the people that I do want to say I, I, I really love their work is A.G. Riddle. Have you guys read a lot of his work? Oh, no. It rings a bell, but I can't place any of the titles. Yeah. So um, the Atlantis Plague or Atlantic Atlantis Plague, excuse me. Um, and then there's a that's a series. So he's this guy from actually North Carolina as well. And he... Um, Worked in tech and, um, you know, did w- was successful in the kind of the boom era. And then he decided that he was going to take off a couple of years and try to write a book. And he went the Andy Weir route, um, really before Andy did it, where he was just solely on Amazon. Oh. And giving his books away for 99 cents or two ninety nine or zero. And, um, and now has a huge following. And Amazon picked him up within, I think, one of their own imprints. Um, so he's he's someone I really like. I like Andrew Maine. He's another guy who ended up becoming uh, contracted under an Amazon imprint. And he writes sort of a, a he writes about this geeky scientist who ends up becoming an investigator by default because no one's as good at just figuring things out as he. So Andrew Maine and A.G. Riddle are both great, I think, genre finds that I've, I've felt really like to have found in the past four or five years. Ooh, thank you for the recommendations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Atlantis gene. Um, gene that was that was on that was on our list. Mm-hmm. We, we just haven't gotten to it yet, yeah. but that has actually been on our list. It's on the never ending TBR. <laughs> never ending, and it's starting to pile up. Like I can't buy them anymore <laughs> because my husband starts to complain about the piles around the house. You know, but yes, he's <laughs> he's spectacular. He really is. Yeah. 
we complain about the piles of books around the house, but we're really complaining <laughs> complaining to the ether because both of us are 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 at fault. Yeah, and we just yeah. keep getting more. Oh, yeah. Wow. Now, you guys surely read The Genius Plague by David Walton, right? No. Oh, golly. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so he just he took this idea that, you know, the trees are talking to each other through the um, mycelium of fungus um, as a network underneath the trees. I'm sure you've heard that. that yes. Those studies. Right. And and he just he, he concocted this enormous plot where the fungus are taking over our brains and telling us what to do and controlling our actions. And it's actually it's just spectacular. And he won a massive award for it. Just the the beginning of um, or mid twenty eighteen. It's it's got the best cover too. I just can't say enough about the cover because it reminds me of a good old Crichton cover from like the the seventies eighties. You know. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that is very relevant to our interests. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, you David Walton Genius Plague. You've got. To like, just go ahead and put it at the top of your list. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> it yeah. is. It's it's horror and sci-fi together. It sounds like <laughs> it is, but it's so fascinating. And he really, any any dives into like the the espionage world and the the NSA world too. So it's it's well rounded. Like if you like a spy fiction, you would like David Walton as well. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, I had to pull up the cover. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a yes. great cover. Isn't that amazing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going. It's and it's going. in a cart. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Every time I see that cover, I'm, I'm just sort of deeply jealous. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now, yours has a cool cover. I don't cover. know if I'll ever think up an idea that's worthy of that kind of cool, cool cover. <laughs> I love yeah. the cover on this book. Me too. <laughs> oh, you mean mine? <laughs> yeah, your book. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I really thought they did an amazing, amazing job with that. It's very evocative. It is, because you can see, like, the girl's silhouette and the hair, but then you have the little guy. Yeah, it's fun um, how many people, like, read something different into it. I've, I've met, you know, young girls and, and older men and, like, what they all read into it. But the best part was this weekend, my husband was looking for a new um, chandelier for our kitchen or living room area. And he pulls up one. He's like, what about the resistant one? And he shows me it. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe it just happened to have, like, the name resistant in the title of the, the product. But it was actually just it had a shape that was similar to the virus. And we've we've ordered it. I think we're going to have to pay like an extra $50 for shipping from Europe. But it's just it has to be added to the house. Yeah, that's perfect for you. (laughs) (laughs) Very supportive husband, right? Yeah. Is he a science guy? No, he is a carpenter with an MBA. And he just he loves to build and loves to work with stuff. But um, he came from a a very, very bright background and, and challenges me constantly to, to think better and write better and um, read more. And yeah, now he's, he's a really wonderful guy. Oh, cool. So now that you've written your first published novel, what have you found to be your favorite step of the writing process? Oh, gosh. Um, probably that kind of time period when you are, you're wrapping something up. And you're thinking like, I think I might have done this. <laughs> you know, I think I, I think I flip and finished a book. And then, you know, you get there and, and you kind of go back through and you you start doing your first hardcore revisions and finding holes that you missed or gaps or areas that didn't get you know wrapped up. So going from that, like, holy crap, I think I finished a novel to I finished a novel <laughs> that that moment is is still a big high for me. So and, and especially if you have great people to give you feedback who will read it and say, you know, that did not work for me or that did or wow, I I was really like unable to put it down. That's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that 
I just, I love to know that it was actually worth it to entertain someone else, right? Yeah. So that's, that's, and of course the research is fun too, but I tend to research as I go as well. So, um, both, both those parts are exciting. The, the hope getting published part is a little painful, but, um, it sure is nice to have it out there and get a cover on it too, because when you do, when we talk about covers and how much they tell us about the interior of a book, both before we've finished it and after it, mm-hmm. um, I love, I love that too. It, it was, it was incredibly fulfilling to see the, the imagery of it. Cause it's not like your book's going to be a movie yet. It might be a movie in your head, but it's not really, <laughs> um, yeah. So that process of the, the book cover and design and stuff was, was fascinating. Oh, wow. You talked about doing research for the book and obviously I'm sure there was a ton of research to do, but what, what scientific part of this book did you know the least about going into it? Um, probably the, so I had always loved viruses, bacteriology, microbiology. So and because of my jobs, um, had to stay up to date on it, right? Um, so in fact, it would probably surprise a lot of people, but you know, there's that whole j- the saying that you should write what you know. Um, mm. And I thought that that was a really good idea for just the first one. So I really did write about things that I was already quite confident in. What I didn't expect is that as I got past the point where I had outlined to and went into like, okay, we're just freestyling here. I don't know what's coming out. You know, the the story started to write itself and some of the plot points started to write themselves. And so, you know, they would sort of arrive on the page and then I would say, wait a minute, I, I actually don't know if that's still true because I learned it in, you know, 2011 or yeah. I, I, you know, I was taught it in 2002 or something. So it was about fact checking less than it was about re-researching stuff. So that was a little bit um, uh, of an, an interesting process because then, you know, you'd sort of already made this whole story to go a certain way. Could you then go back and conform, <laughs> contort <laughs> the plot that you already liked to match fact as much as I wanted to? Because I really wanted it to be, um, I wanted it to be something that if a scientist did read it, they would say, I, I had trouble finding holes, you know? Yeah. Um, and in fact, a friend of mine who has a PhD in epidemiology when she called me and said, I was really surprised by the ending. I was like, that's okay. I've won. <laughs> I've graduated in life. That's all I needed to know. You know? Yes. So, um, so a lot of the research was kind of going back and making sure that everything still conformed to the amount of logic and, and due diligence of, of scientific fact that I had, had planned for. Now, as I go into other novels that I'm working on, I'm having to do a ton of research into the climate stuff. So like the cod thing, I remembered, I remembered a lot of it. Um, but I didn't know as much as I needed to be able to give Byron a full story to tell about that. So that was the kind of thing that I had to go back and research more of. And lucky for us, we live in a time when I don't necessarily have to go to a library to do that. True. Yeah. <laughs> Just digging through. I mean, I, I, I love Google Scholar. I, I always loved that Crichton was the first to actually footnote his fiction and cite actual studies in it it just it blew my mind so i kind of always hope i can do that one day Ooh, that's really cool i love i love that so what i was what that reminded me of was your characters are so quite developed i really liked byron a whole lot and are, are your characters based on real people or do they just kind of did they speak to you both both so um AJ is is based on a close friend and is actually named for her daughter but the rest of them sort of just yeah they they just sort of came to me and I would spend a lot of time with them in my head and 
get get to know them in my head and and get to know their backstories and and work on that. So yeah, all of them did. I will say Navy is still a little bit of a mystery to me, but he's also the most most fun to write because of that because he's he's a withdrawn kind of guy who's very introverted and each time I write about him, I sort of learn more about him, right? Oh, that's cool. No, he was fun too. He's that lone wolf kind of rogue guy, but yeah, no, Dreaming I like with a dark past, but with a soft <laughs> yeah. heart. Yes, I loved him. <laughs> Thank you. So you, you said that you're writing more books. Uh, it <laughs> sounded like you're researching uh, climate change, so it sounds like that might be the basis. We're of it. fishing here. Yeah, no, totally. Um, so the the sequel to Emerge uh, to the Resistant, I'm tentatively calling Emergent. Um, and I think that I would like it to be a lot more about the climate change that we talked about a little bit in resistant. Um, but you know, there's a lot of evidence that old diseases will reemerge due to climate change. And so that kind of gives you some hint at where I think, Mm -hmm. you know, Rory, what, what she's got next. But, um, then before I could finish emergent, um, another book sort of came to my head and I just had to get out. And so I finished a book, um, couple months ago that I'm trying to find a publisher for. And um, it's a little bit more witchy and a little bit more um, current and, and past as opposed to current and future. <laughs> <gasps> oh, my goodness. Sandra just like jumped out of her chair when you said witchy. That's one of <laughs> well, my... I need a beta reader. So maybe you should be one. You know, you know we suck at that. We really do. <laughs> we really suck at beta reading. But, you know, we always try our best. (laughs) (laughs) I would take a thumbs up, thumbs down approach. That's fine. Maybe three thumbs, you know, three up, three down, whatever. We can we can find a happy medium. But yeah, no, I I really we had visited the main coast for a week or so. And and of course, you know, I made my husband visit a a museum, but um, just started reading about some local lore there and an actual story from um, from back in the 1700s or 1600s inspired a, a story and so i i wrote a new one and so that kind of delayed my my work on the sequel to resistant but i really do like it i think it'll be fun and and has a little bit more of the um circumspect historical aspects so it jumps between a historical narrative of someone in the 1700s and um, an epidemiologist in in the current time and it turns out that they're actually related and so they're sort of solving the same mystery 300 years apart Oh, that's a really cool concept. Yeah. I like that a lot. Thank you. All right. We're we're hooked. We'll buy it. Hook it up to our veins. We're ready. <laughs> I've got one sale in the bag. Yes. Well, two, I guess, technically. <laughs> two for one. I- I'm excited to hear that there is a sequel to this book. Um, I felt that there definitely was room to have more story, and I'm excited to hear that there is going to be. Yeah, me too. I really, I, you know, if there was any regret I have about Resistance is that I should have just made it a lot longer. You know, I probably could have written um, double the book, but uh, that's what I'll be aiming for um, with the next story for Rory. And and I think I think it'll be a lot um, a lot more um, opportunity to sort of explore the world and not just be limited to where she was in in a time and place. So we'll be, we'll be going a little bit like the Arctic circle is is my goal. (laughs) I have a feeling I know where this, this plot might be going and I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) These little breadcrumbs. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, it's fascinating what's going on up there. I mean, just like even alone, just the melting and, and how many different impacts it has is, is constantly fascinating to me um, on infrastructure, on, resources 
the revelation of resources that used to be under ice and now people have access to. It's kind of it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's like this whole other world to discover. Yeah, exactly. And Lord only knows what's hiding underneath the ice. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't we don't always ask this question, but um, you know, clearly antibiotic resistance, climate change, science is very important to you. Uh what uh what causes are you the most passionate about and would like to direct our listeners towards? Well, uh, you know, I do have a lot of causes that I care about. What, But on the science side, to me, what is most frightening is that, you know, this resistance problem has been around for a while and we've really, we've really ignored it. You know, we've been pretty, um, pretty thick headed about where it's headed, where it's the direction that it's going to take our, our world. But it's kind of shocking to me how how soon we will see what I sketched out in resistance. So um, one of the things that led me to the plot of resistance was that there was a study that came out that said um, by, by very well respected researchers that said that, that by their estimates, by 2050, 10 million people would die of antibiotic resistant infections. And I was like, well, you know, that's a really hard number to digest. What does that really mean? And I compared it to the population of a few different major cities. And it turned out that that would be all of New York City dying. and like a city the size of Charlotte or San Antonio, everybody oh. in it dying. And, and I was just like, how do you know, how do we not n- know that this is coming and, and, and really not be able to take any action on it? So it's just one of the things that we think about in the world of science um, and, and hospital epidemiology and things like that is that there's a lot of stuff like prevention that generally isn't very sexy and it's really hard to f- get people <laughs> to care about it. Right. And and so that's what worries me is that there won't be any incentive for people to take action on it until it's too late. But if you wanted to get involved in that, I think the very, you know, simplest thing you can do is if your doctor wants to give you antibiotics, ask questions, you know, say why, say, are we choosing the right antibiotic for this? Could we wait a little bit longer? Is it a virus? If it's a virus, I don't need antibiotics. Or a lot of times it's, you know, parents advocating for their children. Do I need to have antibiotics for this? ear infection or what have you. Um, that's one baby step. The bigger steps are things like understanding where um, antibiotics is used in the meat supply and trying to discourage that by buying um, antibiotic-free meat, You know, pressuring your people that you vote for to also pass legislation that limits that. And then the final thing that you also have to you know, kind of think big picture on is, is how can you influence the people that represent you in you know, local, state, congressional politics to say there is no real incentive for pharmaceutical companies to come up with new drugs to fight bacteria with because we will we will take those drugs and we will hoard them and that is what we want to do because we don't want to cause more resistance by overusing them and so if you're you know if you're Abbott or your Bayer or your Merck or whomever and you want to develop a new drug you want to know that it's going to sell right so we've got to come up with smarter economic incentives to get the the bright researchers of the world to invest in figuring out new ways to deal with bacterial infections or you know we're going to die of of having a paper cut. So that's the kind of thing that that I think you can you know do. The other things that I really care about are I've I've really like to learn a lot more actually about dyslexia. I've I've found out that several members of my family have it and and it struggle it, it leads them to struggle with reading and I I grew up reading all the time. So <laughs> You know, the concept that you you can want to read and yet it'd be such a, a, a struggle for you really saddens me. So I'm trying to learn more about how I as a writer can do more 
for the the dyslexia foundations that are out there. There's several. Um, so I'm that's something I'm still teaching myself about, but it's something that I care about. That's why we are huge. Uh, we're huge supporters of audiobooks and mm-hmm. want to see more things like even textbooks and nonfiction in audiobook form, because there are some people who just who need that to be able to read. There's just different ways to digest books and it's all okay. It is. And you know, I was even reading the other day, some researchers have concluded that when you are learning to read as a child, combining what you're practicing with audiobooks is actually a really great way to keep expanding your brain and your vocabulary. Um, because kids who are just learning to, to read are very primed to listen. And so it expands their, you know, their world of words, if they hear a word in an audiobook, and then later on can match it in a book. And so I, I like, for instance, I have 50 credits for audiobooks. And wow. I've been trying to, <laughs> I want to give them to, you know, I, I would like to either use them to raise money for a dyslexia foundation or to just give them away. And and honestly, um, I'm not naming any names, but I've reached out and I haven't gotten any response yet. So hopefully with your podcast, someone will say, hey, here's a great way to go about it. But, um, yeah. you know, that's something I think that we could all do as writers um, who get published to say, let's, let's try to make these audiobooks as accessible as possible and give as many away as we can. You know, um, I recorded the audiobook myself, so that made it easier for me. But I think that people could negotiate that into the rights of their their publication deals. I'm so mad that I didn't listen to this one on audiobook now. <laughs> well, now you just have to go back. <laughs> I even did the accents. So, you know, you can write me later and make fun of me. It's fine. <laughs> Okay, that's going to be my work commute for the next few days. (laughs) Well, I really love doing like voiceover stuff. I I did it a little while for my different company that I work for. It's fun. So just I thought I can do this audiobook on my own. I'm I'm capable of that. Heck yeah, you are. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Well, you know, if you ever need to kick him off the podcast, I can support for a little bit. Okay, perfect. I'll tag you in. We'll do like, yeah, be perfect. I love it. I'll just be out the door. Bye. <laughs> It'll give you some extra reading time. We'll let you get caught up on your TBR. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. <laughs> so where can our listeners find you? Where are you on the internet or are you doing any tours? Yeah, yeah. Well, I got, I did a few tours. I'm kind of back stuck in North Carolina for a little while, but um, I am on Twitter way too much. Um, at Sparky, the author, (laughs) 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 um, but my, my website has all the links to every, you know, social media place I'm at. So that's rachelsparks.com. And my name is spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L, um, S-P-A-R-K-S. That's my father's fault. So, but (laughs) think of it like Michael. Um, but yeah, (laughs) um, but I'm definitely accessible on, on, on all the socials. Fantastic. Well, well, thank you so much for speaking you. with us today. Yes. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to get to, I mean, to get to geek out with anybody over CSV. Um, <laughs> Sequest DSV. Oh, wait a minute. CSV. No. <laughs> DSV. Oops. <laughs> well, exactly. We got to help each other find each other in this fandom. <laughs> I know. I know. We're probably a small, like, we're all so old now. We're probably all just barely hanging on but yeah lucas <laughs> lucas wozniak and captain nathan bridger supporters there we go together. there's the <laughs> ticket for 2020 <laughs> <laughs> and you know maybe spielberg will write me back and he'll say i'm sorry i'm yes. really sorry that i missed you back exactly. when you 
Well, he could reboot it and you're going to write it there. Boom. Pick it up, Netflix. Will you be on my team of co-writers? Oh, absolutely. We're we're ready now. (laughs) Well, I want to be captain. Who would play Captain Bridger? I mean, really. (laughs) I mean, I I think you'd have to have a new crew. Hmm. I think you would. I just Mm. don't know who could stand in for him. I also missed the ending where Dr. Robert Ballard would give a little <laughs> geek talk. <laughs> I just love that. Yeah. Before it went off the rails and went alien. It always <laughs> goes <true>. alien. <laughs> this was so much fun, you guys. You were so sweet to have me on the podcast. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Rachel. a great interview that was it was a damn fine interview damn fine cup of coffee <laughs> let's talk about resistance kind of a spoiler free version so here's spoiler free version oh wait i mean was all the spoiler it's spoiled we're gonna yeah. spoil it it's already spoiled yeah spo- spoiler most yeah spoiler heavy Spoiler heavy. So, yeah, as we kind of talked about, I didn't really know a lot about this potential crisis going in. And I feel smarter having read it and having talked to Rachel. I did know a fair amount about it. And I feel smarter having read it and talked to (laughs) Rachel. You know, I don't really have a lot of criticism with this book. Um, Rachel kind of mentioned it briefly in our interview. And it's true. The only thing that I really found, quote unquote, fault with it is I could have had it be longer. I mean, not like crazy, but, you know, another 50 to 100 pages, I wouldn't have minded at all. I think it could have done with even more pages than that. Sure. Again, I really liked it and I liked the pacing. And I don't think that this is really a knock on it. No. But I wanted more of Rory before the events of this book. Mm. I wanted to get to know her better before she was thrust into it because it happened so fast. Yeah. And then I just wanted a little bit more, a little bit more breathing room between the beats of the story. I I think that Mm. it had a lot of room to, there's a lot of room for that book to breathe. Yes. And it just is compacted very tightly in that book. Um, I think even though Byron is like, like I said, kind of my favorite character, really my favorite parts of the book was um, Rory and Navy on the road and like <laughs> their adventures and misadventures and scraps they got into. That was kind of my favorite part, especially that creepy, nasty old doctor. And he like, you know, injects Navy and stuff. I, I liked that. I liked all that thrilling stuff where, you know, they're being followed by these drones in disguise. And it, it's just the cool, thrillery, science-y aspect of it. Me too. It, particularly the uh, particularly the events that happen in the hospital. Yes. Uh, I, I really liked, you know, their relationship and just the main plot of the story, which revolved around them. But... Yeah, I am on Teen Byron and Army. I <laughs> I could, could also do them. that buddy novel. I could follow them on that boat for <laughs> five hundred pages. I thought they were great. They were great. They were great, and I like that. Um, Army's disfigurement you only see like under black light. I was like that. He's bioluminescent. They there needed to be a giant shark that the two of them hunted in between, you know, them yeah. going from the original farm to the island because, I mean, it was just it was very Jaws to me. I, yeah. I don't know if you got that. 
too. I, I got some Jaws vibes for sure. It was just sort of this, you know, there's this little bit of uncomfortableness, uncomfort- but we kind of trust each other and we're getting to know each other and we're both really interesting people. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Oh my God. No, they were cute. They were really, really cute. They were just so cute together. Uh, too bad they didn't end up together and they ended up with other people. Yeah, I guess that's kind of my OTP. <laughs> we were shipping them. We were shipping them so hard. I was shipping them without even knowing it. Yes. Uh, speaking of... But, I mean, they couldn't really be shipped together because his wife was still alive. Surprise. Spoiler. That's the Let's point of this su- section. But Yeah. Um, I thought that was cool that she was still alive. I mean, I felt betrayed, like how Rory did. But it was like, I see these people are not joking around. And for Rory's safety, she really needed to believe that her mother was dead. Because quite literally, this whole plot hinges upon the continuation of humanity. So it's actually a really big deal. Did you see it coming? No. I didn't. I mean, I knew that, like, Navy and Army knew more than they were letting on. I didn't see it coming either. And and I I was kind of trying to think of why I didn't see it. Because, you know, after it happened, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, well, that's that's kind of obvious. Yeah. But I think her, the idea of her death when Rory was, well, actually, it was only a few years prior to the events of the book. But the idea of her death served very well in the first two-thirds of the book to drive home the seriousness of the world that they were living in. Right. It kind of it kind of stuck as as an emotional stake in the story. Yeah. And it did a really good job of that. And then it also did a great job of progressing the story and creating future stakes. Yeah. Um something I want to say about Navy and Rory. First of all, I <laughs> I always have this fear that things like this are going to happen in books, that it's like, oh my gosh, Rory's pregnant. Yay, here's the first like immune baby or something horrific like that. And I'm so, so thankful that didn't happen. Oh my gosh, Rachel, thank you so much for not letting that happen. Yeah, I'm glad that the uh, that the solution wasn't the two of them having a child. And the book doesn't take place in over a, per- a long enough period of time for that to happen. So right. yeah. who yeah. knows, I guess. But I, I agree. I-, I don't like the idea of having a child being the solution. So one thing that was kind of cool about Navy is envision, if you will, a little a little bud, a little flower. And it's like, you know, it's like hard because it isn't open yet. That's Navy. And as the book goes on, <laughs> he blossoms into a lovely flower. I really think he, of all the characters, shows the some growth, probably more so than the others. And here's my big, big takeaway for Navy. My favorite thing about him, which made me love him, he is so good with his woman being smart. She is more intelligent than him. And he, oh, yeah. By a long shot. And yeah. he loves it. And he's proud of her, like any confident male should be. He doesn't downplay her intelligence and that she's a brilliant scientist he's like yeah my girl's gonna save the world like i was very excited for for his excitement yeah it's what he loves about her and that's what he should love about her it's it's a very important part of her and i didn't process that until you just started saying it but you're absolutely right that's so important for that to be portrayed yes and so i was very um 
Navy is a an archetype. He is a you know he's just a trope in a way, which isn't bad. You know we need tropes in books, but he changes the paradigm in such a nice way to be a good match for our super smart heroine. And it speaks to one of the points that I wanted to make in this section about him is I I had a few concerns towards the beginning of how protective everyone was of her. Yeah. It, that is a very unfortunate trope of the lead female character being protected by all the men around her. Mm-hmm. And I was concerned that that of the direction it was going in. But Rachel, again, threads this needle where, yes, he's protective of her because, one, he is tasked with her protection. And two, he loves her. And so he's protective of her. But she is just as protective of him. Yes, they're just protective people and and she's right. not being protected by the men around her they're just they're all they're all looking out for each other because and they care exactly and the fact and and what helps that fact that i didn't that it didn't light bulb for me until now is the fact that he doesn't love her because she's in trouble or she's an ingenue or <laughs> I mean, he loves her because she's smart and he's protecting her because he loves her. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think in that way, it's very natural for all of the characters in this book to be protective of each other. And I mean, there's also the fact that, you know, Rory doesn't know, but her dad and Navy know, and then Army too, that she is the most important person in the world, quite literally right now. And she really needs to be protected. It's like... Don't go doing stupid stuff up in trees with lightning, ma'am, because we need you. (laughs) You're full of magical viruses. (laughs) Exactly. So I guess we should give this, you know, a quote unquote star rating. So I think we should do this microphages. I think that's how you pronounce it. I hope that's how you pronounce it. Microphages. I believe it's microphages. I've never seen a TED talk on it, but I'm going to go with it. Okay, so I'm going to say I'm going to give this three and a half microphages out of five. A wonderful, solid book, a tremendous first outing, and um, an overall good egg. Uh, That is exactly the score that I have for it as well. I think it is an excellent book. I think that it's a really fun read. Like I said, my my only complaint is I, I really wish it was longer. More book. I think there's a lot more that could have gone into it in character development, in plot, in just breathing room in general. And that's a compliment more than anything else. It is. I mean, it's a compliment to be like, I wanted more book from you because I like the book you had. But I, but you know because of that that that's I think this is one of the perfect examples of a three out of five book plus. Yes. Because, you know, a three out of five book is a great book that I was really into. And this is just a little bit better than that, too, because really, if it was 100 pages longer, I think it'd be a five. Oh, I could see that. I could totally see that. All right, guys, there you have it. The absolutely great book, Resistant, by Rachel Sparks. Thanks for joining us. I'm Sandra. I'm Scott. And please keep reading past your bedtime. Mm-hmm.